lecture six on patience as the discipline of the soul in your patience you shall possess your souls st luke chapter twenty one verse nineteen we have come to the great problem of our moral nature what is it to hold our soul in our own possession as we have not our resources from ourselves because we are not created for ourselves but for god we cannot possess our soul except in god we possess our mind in the light of his truth and our will in the grace of his love hence when adam fell from god he lost the possession of himself so long as our mind adheres to god in his truth and the will adheres to god in his love we are in possession of ourselves but if we follow the seductions of error we lose the possession of ourselves and if we follow the unreasonable impulses of temper of passion or of sensuality that spring up in our inferior nature we lose possession of ourselves as the body depends for its life and health on the light and air and food which by the ordinance of god this visible world provides the soul depends for life and health on the truth the love and the food of grace which through the merciful mystery of our redemption the gracious goodness of god provides and as our mortal life is only free and self-possessed when we live in light and air our spiritual life is only free and self-possessed when we live in the truth and love of god but that we may be able to abide in the truth the grace and the love of god and to abide in these life-giving gifts with constancy god has given us the grace of patience that by forming it into a virtue we may abide in these gifts with stability and so hold possession of ourselves by patience we hold our soul in the grace truth and love of god by patience we resist and repel the invasions of error of passion of temptation and of vice by patience the will commands and rules the powers of the soul and the fascinating sensibilities of the body patience is the possession of the soul enabling the will to keep the soul in peace and to regulate her actions and desires by the light of truth and justice with a constant view to her final end but only those who have a great love of god can have great patience it is in vain to seek this invincible virtue for our interior regulation outside of charity even the pagans with eyes too blind to see the true god could discover that patience was the christian strength and when the emperor titus condemned the holy bishop ignatius of antioch to torments and death he exclaimed there is no people who endure so much for their god as these christians they endured much for god because they possessed their souls in god impatience is the beginning of every movement that takes away the soul from god and so from her self-possession for every evil begins by yielding to some irritation provocation or seduction that breaks into the fence of patience 
which guards the good and peace of the soul and so the way is opened for the soul to wander away from the light of truth into the delusions of the imagination from the law of justice into the base ways of sensuality from peace of conscience into the whirlpools of passion and from the love of god into the saddening pits of self-love patience is the fence of the soul and within the fence of patience the whole choir of the virtues flow in harmony and peace and unite in the praise of god but impatience is the destroyer of that securing fence st gregory may be here invited to assist our explanation the soul he says holds possession of herself by patience because patience is the root and guardian of the virtues in learning to govern ourselves we begin to possess that very thing which we are this patience must not be looked for in any visible display but in the heart but by the vice of impatience even that light of learning is dissipated by which the virtues are nourished for as it is written in the proverbs the learning of a man is known by his patience proverbs chapter nineteen verse eleven we know then that when a man is less patient he is less instructed solomon has also taught us to what a height this virtue should be carried where he says the patient man is better than the valiant and he that governs his spirit than he that taketh cities proverbs chapter sixteen verse thirty two a victory over cities is the less of the two because it only brings into subjection what is outside of us there is a great deal more of victory in the patience that conquers oneself because when the soul establishes herself in humble endurance she commands herself and is the subject of her own will the great doctor of morals then proceeds to illustrate his teaching by the example of abbot stephen who had governed a monastery close to rieti and whose life and death were well remembered and much talked of in his time of rude speech but learned life this holy man despised all things here below for the love of heaven and would have nothing in the world of his own but gave himself to long and frequent prayer the love of patience grew to such a vehemence in his soul that he looked upon any one who gave him trouble as his friend contumelies he repaid with thanks and if any one injured him in his deep poverty he reckoned it among his gains he welcomed every adversary as a helper to his soul when the day of his death drew on numbers of people hastened to him hoping to commend themselves to that holy soul before it quitted the body some with their mortal eyes saw angels visit him but dared not speak others saw nothing but such a fear came over all that they dared not remain to interfere with his recollection at the peaceful hour of his departure but the law of patience is one thing the practice is another god gives the law and the grace to fulfil the law the exercise depends on the resolution of the will 
he who commands us to love god above all things commands us to possess our souls in patience that we may be in a condition to love god above all things and as it is the work of patience to establish the soul in order unity and peace it needs little reflection to understand that such a state of soul can only be acquired by observing certain rules and following certain methods of self-discipline in this respect virtue is a certain art that calls for the judicious regulation of our powers those who are trained to exhibit their physical prowess with a view to victory have to abstain from many things to command their temper amidst the greatest provocations and to go through severe exertions regulated by fixed rules and st paul has more than once brought forward this example to illustrate the spiritual combat with ourselves it is an arduous struggle in which everything depends on self-denial self-command and well-directed efforts according to the rules delivered by the saints the prize is our present well-being and eternal happiness but when we come to examine individual souls many who have the grace of patience have no method worth speaking of for its exercise to speak plainly they strive at random a sure sign of habitual impatience their patience is little better than a vague sentiment hanging loosely in their souls and is easily blown aside by the breath of provocation or temptation some will tell you that they never can follow any definite rule but do their best in their own fashion if they have a way they must have some sort of rule but this commonly means that they have but little knowledge of what real patience is or of what it is able to do for the soul let them adopt but one rule and do their best to follow it and they will soon feel the want of more it is lamentable to see how many souls there are desiring the better things of virtue who yet never put themselves under effective regulations for obtaining them there can be no great progress in any virtue without progress in patience but these good people so good in desire waste their lives in a romance of unshaped wishes instead of striving by rule for the solid realities of virtue there must be light before there can be reasonable action and therefore certain principles should be fixed as lights in the mind to enlighten and animate the will in the regulation of its conduct we shall first give the principles and then the rules of patience first principle there is an order in patience which is the same for all persons because all souls are made alike and all have the same nature to overcome and that order gives the rules for its exercise it is a primary truth that human nature is weak and irritable and that it has become much weaker in its moral powers through sin but patience is the virtue that strengthens this weakness how does it strengthen us what is weak is made strong by being united with what is strong 
as the body cannot put forth its energies unless it have a firm ground on which to rest and from which to put forth its powers neither can the soul put forth her powers of virtue without a firm foundation on which to repose and from which to act without such a foundation of repose the soul is restless unquiet and changeable it is revealed to us that god is our patience and our fortitude he is the firm immovable and unchangeable patience on whom resting we shall not be moved it is therefore the first and essential role of patience to adhere with constancy to god and to rest ourselves upon his divine and unchangeable strength for our foundation another great reason for adhering to god is that we may receive from his goodness the grace that breathes strength into our nature the lord is my firmament my refuge and my deliverer sings the psalmist psalm seventeen verse three and again i have lifted up my eyes to the mountains from whence help shall come to me my help is from the lord who made heaven and earth may he not suffer thy foot to be moved psalm one hundred twenty one verses one through three. Second principle the will is the spring and originator of all our free and responsible actions the action of all the other powers even that of the mind depends upon the action of the will which is the prime mover of all it must therefore be remembered that the patience of the other powers and of the whole soul depends on the patience of the will but as we have already explained in a previous lecture the will has two kinds of action it either puts forth its action to what it desires or refuses to put forth its action to what it does not desire and therefore concentrates that action within for example the will puts forth the hand to receive something that is good or useful or turns the mind to some beautiful truth or puts forth the affections to something worthy of affection but the will gathers up its strength within when it refuses to act in any evil or disorderly direction for example when it refuses the eye to temptation or to give the affections to what is unworthy of them it was the will of eve that touched the forbidden tree and plucked the forbidden fruit had she kept her will in her own power she would have kept her patience and therefore kept her will at one with the will of god but that movement of the will by which it refuses to enter into irritation provocation or temptation and refrains itself from them is the principal sphere of patience by patience also the will refuses to enter into sadness that miserable sloth which is nothing but the dregs of defeated self-love on its more active side patience sustains the will from wavering in its good purposes so that its good actions may be calm reasonable resolute and complete neither distracted on the one hand nor weak through hastiness or irritability on the other this is the type of patience which we see in our blessed lord and by imitation in his saints 
at this we have to aim and though we may have many failures before gaining habitual steadiness patience comes in here to endure those failures and to turn them into useful lessons third principle it will greatly help us in managing our interior if we clearly understand and keep in view that our spiritual faculties have two sides a superior and an inferior side or we may call them an interior and an exterior side in virtue of which they look in opposite directions all our spiritual faculties are united in the essence of the soul and meet in the will where the light of god illuminates them and his grace strengthens them on their superior or interior side therefore they look towards god the more therefore we are recollected interiorly the more we can look towards god and be united within ourselves through his light and grace but on their inferior or exterior side our powers divide like the fingers of the hand to their exterior offices and communicate with the body with its senses appetites and passions and through them with the exterior world but in communicating with them our spiritual powers communicate with the weakness of the unregenerated body through which the temptations of the world the devil and the flesh are apt to irritate trouble and pervert the powers of the soul to weaken her spiritual force and defile her the chief then or superior side of the soul is rooted and grounded in the light grace and strength of god but the exterior or inferior side of our powers is expanded like the branches of a tree into manifold communication with the sensual body and the sensible world but as the sap and life of the tree spring from the root which is hidden and nourished in the ground so the soul having her spiritual root in god is by him nourished with life the more therefore the spiritual powers are opened and concentrated on their interior side upon god be it mind will or desire the more they receive of that divine light and grace which ground the soul in fortitude and patience and the more able is the will to resist the incursions of evil we may strengthen this exposition by the words of albert the great in his explanation of the fortitude and maturity of the soul true and perfect fortitude he says consists in the internal government of the soul so that whenever she is tempted to pride envy vainglory self-complacency or sensual delight the mind withdraws its attention and the will its consent the office of this virtue is to strengthen the understanding in the knowledge of god and the affections in the love of god and consequently of our neighbour when the soul is thus fortified she neither fears adversity nor is softened into weakness by prosperity showing again how patience and fortitude are brought to maturity the same great religious thinker says that true and perfect maturity of soul consists in collecting the forces and affections of the soul upon god with a unanimous recollection 
by this means the soul is kept from vanity and the five senses are held aloof from intruding their allurements upon the soul but when the soul recoils from this blessed union with god she is caught in the net of vanity for as ecclesiasticus says all things that are under heaven are vanity this collecting of the spiritual powers on the centre of the soul looking towards god and obtaining the sense of god is properly called recollection it is founded in prayer and carried by patience from prayer into the active duties of life but so far from interfering with those duties it gives a mental clearness a prudence and a force that renders those duties most efficient fourth principle as the strength of christian patience is the gift of god and the virtue results from our industrious exercise of that strength it is essential that it should be united with humility first because without humility we cannot be subject to god so as to receive from him the strengthening gift of patience secondly because god gives his grace to the humble and not to the proud thirdly because without humility we shall trust to some imaginary strength of our own and so be deceived for the proud are hollow-souled and whilst making an exterior show of self-possession that is altogether fictitious are inwardly restless irritable and impatient the fathers teach from their great experience that humility and recollection are essential to patience st gregory calls patience the humility of endurance st ambrose gives patience as the evident sign of the presence of true humility abbot pioman says in the conferences true patience and tranquillity are neither obtained nor preserved without deep humility of heart st bernard says we must always hold that humility is the guardian of purity and the mother of patience st francis of assisium proclaims that where patience is there is humility there is neither anger nor perturbation and st bonaventure teaches that patience which ordains the soul to eternal life is born of charity and humility we might quote many other authorities but these will suffice to fix this important principle in the mind fifth principle the last principle to be inserted in the mind is of equal importance with those already set forth every virtue is perfect in proportion to its patience every act we do whether interiorly or exteriorly be it act of mind or act of will is perfect in proportion to its patience and every work we accomplish is perfect in proportion to the patience we put into it patience hath a perfect work says st james that we may be perfect and entire failing in nothing st james chapter one verse four but as st zeno observes patience is chiefly concerned in perfecting the virtues it perfects both the workman and the work nature is hasty and inclined to hurry light and grace like their divine author 
are calm and deliberate the temperaments of constitutions are different some are quicker and some slower but we should never run before our light or we shall be left to our natural obscurity nor should we hurry on before the movements of grace under penalty of being carried away by self-will into rashness and imprudence in other words in whatever we say or do we must not lose our self-possession we must not let the busy imagination carry off our attention and desires from our present work and present duty if we do we fall into an impatience that confuses the mind troubles the will injures our tranquillity and blemishes the work in hand with our christian light we ought never to be the victims of that delusion so common in the world that only things of a certain visible bulk show and dignity are worthy of patient care and solicitude for the perfection of the workman is far more important than the perfection of the work the greatest thing for us is the perfection of our own soul and the saints teach us that this perfection consists in doing our ordinary actions well but we do them well when we do them patiently and lovingly a method which though at first laborious with custom becomes delightful to put the whole relation of patience with charity theologically it is not the habit or exercise of patience alone that gives perfection to our actions but it is patience proceeding from charity and working in the spirit and abundance of charity in short it is charity bearing all things and enduring all things all aversions that have impatience or passion in them are contrary to the love of god and the patience of charity casts them off by refusing to entertain them sufferings have to be endured for the love of god but it is the patience of charity that endures them we have to perfect our ordinary actions for the love of god that we may be perfect in our human way before our heavenly father as he is most perfect in his divine way but it is the patience of charity that makes our actions perfect first rule the first rule for acquiring this virtue is to hold its value in great estimation and to have a great desire of it this desire will be best entertained by reflection and meditation on its inestimable value both for removing evil and obtaining good it is for this reason that we have enlarged so much upon its indispensable necessity for the perfecting of charity and for making real progress in perfection of life the mere reading of a book will do little however towards generating this desire unless its truths be well digested by reflection and assisted by prayer another great help to this desire will be to observe how much we fail from our best intentions and best endeavours after the virtues solely because of our want of patience a virtue so precious can only be perfected by sustained and vigorous efforts and these come of earnest desires and strong motives second rule 
the second rule is to begin the exercise of patience with our own interior and to direct our chief attention to the controlling of our interior powers for this virtue must be strong at home before it can be strong abroad by its very nature as resting on the internal strength of the will it can only proceed from the interior to the exterior the whole secret of it lies in the government of the will if the will is patient the whole man will be patient this is what spiritual writers call the custody of the heart and what st ambrose calls the temperance of the heart the heart is the seat of the affections and the organ of the will so long as the tremulous heart is kept in the custody of the will and is recollected in the sense of god outward provocations will have no power over it whether they come from the irritation of the senses or from external troubles in a word by the heart the sacred scriptures signify the interior and central spirit of life which looks to god and adheres to god the proverb says with all watchfulness keep thy heart because life issues out from it proverbs chapter four verse twenty three upon this custody of the heart the psalmist never ceases his song it would be tedious to crowd these pages with references but whoever is familiar with the sacred psalmody will remember that god is there represented as watching the heart of man and the heart of the just man watches unto god he maketh the heart of each one separately that is god maketh the good which every single heart possesses he is also called the god of my heart and my portion for eternity his law is in the middle of the heart and they who return to the heart return to god he says to each one my child give me thy heart and when it is given to him he speaks to the heart enlightens the heart searches the heart proves the heart heals the contrite of heart and saves the humble and just of heart the meditation of the heart is in his sight the hope of the heart is set upon him the prayer of the heart ascends before him like incense in his sight and the sighs of the heart go up to him seeking his mercy and his love the just man under trials is exhorted to expect the lord to do manfully to let his heart take courage and await with patience the coming of the lord when prepared to hope in the lord his heart is strengthened and shall not be moved until his enemies are vanquished in meditating with the heart the fire of love is enkindled the heart is liquefied faints from itself and flows unto god and exalts in the living god then is the heart disposed to make ascensions until the god of gods is seen in sion but all this exercising of the heart under the custody of the will is the movement of life towards life and is the work of that interior and fundamental patience of charity with which our central life adheres to god and protects the divine good within the soul from the disturbing intrusions and burglarious thefts that are perpetrated by anger 
concupiscence or sadness the more the heart is recollected in god the more sensitive will it become to the least intrusion of things tending to disturb its peace and the more firm in refusing them an entrance within the soul whether they come in movements of irascibility or of inordinate desire so that by gathering up the will that inordinate movement may drop defeated for want of entertainment third rule the surest test of the custody of the heart will be found in the government of the tongue let thought go before speech not speech before thought this is an admirable discipline of patience for that small member the tongue full of nerve and sensibility is rooted close to the brain the magazine of our animal sensibilities fancies and passions and is as touchy and inflammable as a magazine of powder it is therefore quickly set on fire by the inferior instincts sensibilities and passions before reflection and judgment intervene with their control for unless by patient watchfulness the animal man is kept under the strict control of the superior man under its restless and misguided influences the tongue will break out into all sorts of irritabilities vanities and follies it is by the patience of recollection that the will restrains those blind vicious and silly emotions that become acts through the ready pliancy of the tongue quick are the motions of fancy and sensibility quick through the electric sympathy awakened by the tolling of other tongues and rapidly they find expression making revelations of the vanities within where the soul is undisciplined by watchful patience the mind in conversation is soon thrown off its guard the emotions that start before reason or judgment get the ascendancy and the will becomes involved in vanities irascibilities detractions and scandals here st james compares the ungoverned tongue to a fire that once kindled makes a great conflagration it catches one inflammable material after another that lurk within the speaker sets his neighbor's house on fire and the contagion spreads from tongue to tongue in exaggerations far and wide not satisfied with this figure to express so great an evil the apostle says again it inflameth the wheel of our nativity he compares the tongue to that birth in evil that like a wheel whirls away the man from god for a restless tongue like a rapid wheel whirls him anew into the evil from which he has been regenerated by a better birth again he calls the tongue an unquiet evil it is the great disturber of our peace and of the peace of other souls but the remedy of unquietness is patience observe the careful method of st james first he lays down the principle that patience hath a perfect work next he gives the test of this principle in the government of the tongue if any man offend not in word the same is a perfect man he is able also with a bridle to lead about the whole body st james chapter three the bridle is the instrument of restraint 
it figures the restraining power of patience the man who can bridle his tongue with patient charity can govern his whole person silence is strength and the proverb calls it golden much talkativeness is the sign of a feeble mind and an undisciplined will stobius tells us that when the acutest of philosophers aristotle was asked the question what is the most difficult thing for a man to master he replied to keep silence on things on which it is best to be silent st james says that no man can tame the unquiet tongue he thus leaves us to solomon's conclusion it is the part of man to prepare the soul and for the lord to govern the tongue proverbs chapter sixteen verse one man prepares his soul by subjection to god god gives the grace of patience by which the tongue is governed be thou o my soul subject to god for from him is my patience the tree is known by its fruits and man by his speech hence the saying of the ancients speak that i may know thee our divine lord has therefore given us this rule out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh a good man out of a good treasure bringeth forth good things and an evil man out of an evil treasure bringeth forth evil things but i say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak they shall render an account of in the day of judgment st matthew chapter twelve verses thirty four through thirty six from this it follows that the evil tongue comes from evil dispositions and consequently that the watch over the tongue should be directed to the heart a light foolish tongue careless of another's feelings is the proof of levity in the heart a vain conceited boasting tongue is the sign of a vain heart a flattering tongue betrays the spirit of hypocrisy an impatient irritating tongue is the sure token of an intemperate heart a calm sincere and prudent tongue is the clear indication of a heart that is patient from self-discipline fourth rule the fourth rule of patience is to keep all things in their just and due order that order should first appear in our own interior and our interior exercises next in our exterior and our exterior duties then in our personal surroundings justice is another name for moral order that order which god has established in his laws hence the proverb that order is heaven's first law all the virtues are the servants of justice that is of order the soul says of christ in the canticles he hath set charity in order within me canticles chapter two verse four there is no beginning of order in the soul without charity which orders the soul towards her final end every other kind of order is subordinate to this first principle of order where charity is begun observes st augustine order is begun the perfection of charity is the perfection of order but charity is perfect when all the affections are in their due order and subordination to the love of god 
the object of patience is to keep the soul from disorder and her acts from disorder and of that external order which reflects internal order st paul says let all things be done decently and according to order one corinthians chapter fourteen verse forty order again is that primal law by which god regulates his works adjusts them to one another establishes harmony among them and makes them good useful beautiful strong in their kind and suited to their ends order is therefore the perfection of the creature the type of all order is in the mind of god and god has placed a law of order in the mind of man following which he may perfect himself and whatever depends on his will if he neglects this law of order he is weak confused and less happy or altogether at discomfort because disorder is always feeble always irritating even though it reach not the deformity of sin order is defective observes st augustine when there is less of order than there ought to be for when order is not where it ought to be and in the manner in which it ought to be there is still disorder where there is some order there is some good but where there is no order there is no good the absence of all order belongs to that land of darkness and misery where says holy job is the shadow of death and no order but everlasting horror dwelleth job chapter ten verse twenty two to quote st bonaventure the soul that is wisely disciplined should observe a well-regulated order everywhere and in all things to the well-regulated mind the beauty of order is not only most becoming but delightful to be careless about the order of external things is the sign of an ill-regulated mind what patience is to our individual actions order is to the whole chain and succession of our actions giving them their completeness perfection and as much merit as they are capable of receiving but who does not know that to keep to this good order is the work of patience to lose patience is the beginning of disorder true order is the result of that disciplined thought and deliberate self-control in which patience is the chief and the ruling element it takes a great deal of patience to keep our own interior in order and not a little of that virtue to do everything in its proper place and time and in the best way of which we are capable some persons have a natural love of seeing everything well disposed around them but if anything becomes deranged their fretting shows that they have not the same love for internal order they love exterior more than interior beauty and take a pride in it as something that may give them credit in their neighbour's eyes the true order of the interior man is to ascend from sensible to spiritual things and when engaged in external duties and affairs still to keep an internal hold of those spiritual lights and motives that give value to his external works the due ordering of the interior soul is to keep her centre recollected in god 
and so to use her powers and her corporal members that they may be the instruments for the performance of her duties she ought never to throw out the central soul upon anything that there may be no departure from the basis of her strength if we lose that calm and collected centre for a time it must be recovered as soon as possible for when the will is united with the light and will of god it becomes easy with a little patience to restore order everywhere else a good interior order will produce a good exterior order for when the will is well regulated it can regulate everything else well of exterior order the most beautiful examples are to be found in the church of god where a divine order of things is externally expressed under the guidance of the holy spirit much of the same may be said of the well-regulated condition of religious houses when they reflect the rule in the lives of their inmates such external order is very helpful to interior order because it engages the senses on the side of order and law the same may be said in its degree of every other kind of external order fifth rule the fifth rule is to bear patiently with those whose tempers are infirm and to endure their tempers with charitable kindness this rule is given us by st paul now we that are stronger ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves let every one of you please his neighbour unto good to edification for christ did not please himself but as it is written the reproaches of them that reproach thee fell upon me romans chapter fifteen verses one through three it is shrewdly remarked by cassian that weak spirits are quick to imagine wrongs and prompt to inflict insults and injuries whilst never suspecting that they are themselves in fault having but little knowledge of themselves they use the license of offence without misgiving yet cannot endure the least rebuke themselves their irritability and impatience is like a painful malady which gives them great disturbance the cause of which they cannot see it never enters their mind that in charging their sufferings to their neighbours they make themselves a pitiable spectacle yet not unconscious of the pain they inflict they mistake their weak complainings for a kind of power over others careless of self-respect careless of charity such infirm spirits are the victims of sadness and have need to be borne with in great patience prudence and charity like the sick in body or mind to retort upon them would be to mistake their case and increase the infirmity to avoid them would be to abandon charity and to forfeit a gain to one's own soul because they offer an opportunity to the virtues of patience charity and self-conquest it will not do to answer them in words of affected gentleness which instead of appeasing will only enkindle a greater conflagration nor will it do to let them know that you look upon them with compassion and bear with them patiently this would be to assert a superiority provocative of indignation 
but in your heart keep patience and in your voice cheerfulness and let your words be prudent few and kind think not of your own but of what may be profitable to that infirm spirit remember how that heart is suffering in secret and will suffer more when the excitement has passed away so shall you reap the fruits of patience in charity and help to heal that suffering soul saints have sought to be the servants of such irritable souls with a view to their self-discipline and perfection and have finally brought them to meekness and peace when we are associated with the sick or infirm of body their sufferings and complaints awaken no bitterness in us we know that we are liable to the like infirmities hence we have a tender and charitable care of those who are thus afflicted why then should we be irritated with weak and infirm souls unless we wish to catch the contagion of their infirmity the needs of their condition call for charity god endures them and they suffer from their infirmity if in his mercy he has given to us a greater self-control the gratitude of our patience requires that we should endure what we cannot cure and whilst bearing the trial we should ask him to heal what is beyond our remedies sixth rule the sixth rule is to manage our own infirmities of temper wisely the provocation may arise within ourselves or may come from the voice or conduct of another whichever it may be the true cause of evil temper is always in oneself it arises from want of control over our inferior nature that is to say over our imagination and sensuous emotions the imagination moved by self-love generates fears and suspicions of wrong or of humiliation that are hateful to our pride the untamed blood swells into excitement the nerves become agitated and self-love adds its sting then our reason becomes clouded the folly of the sensual man is predominant and passion has its sway anger is a brutish thing and has been rightly called a transient insanity it corrects nothing it protects nothing it accomplishes nothing but disorder and evil quick temper has a double sting it stings the heart and stings the tongue it suffers a double loss loss of sense and loss of peace just and deserved rebuke moves from right reason with authority to correct pride and persistent disobedience or wrong but anger moves from offended self-love in which our own deluded imagination is commonly the chief offender when another is the real offender not anger but patience is our true protector one who is habitually recollected in god cannot easily be moved to anger resting the soul on her divine foundation he enjoys a peace which makes the soul quickly sensible of the first movements of disturbance and quick to turn from them so that they cannot take hold of the superior soul but in less recollected souls the true method of self-management is this 
the moment that irritation and disturbance are felt to rise up in the inferior or animal nature let the mind turn to god and the will follow the mind you will then keep your soul in your own possession and that brutal commotion left to itself will sink and die for want of encouragement you may then look upon it and even suffer it to appear again and see by the light in your mind what a contemptible thing it is and how happy you are to be free from it thus by the habit of looking on your evil temper with contempt as a brutal weakness and a vile deformity you will become the master of it the psalmist gives this rule i was troubled and i spoke not psalm seventy six verse five which he thus expands in another place i said i will take heed to my ways that i sin not with my tongue i have set a guard upon my mouth when the sinner stood against me psalm thirty eight verse two this guard is less the silence of the lips than the patience of the heart until the will obtains the mastery the power of the will over the movement of the senses is immense provided we look to god and dwell on some high motive on the first appearance of rising temper seventh rule this rule of patience is given by st paul be not overcome by evil but overcome evil by good romans chapter twelve verse twenty one the evil that conquers our patience may come of our own ill nature fancying wrong where it does not exist or from brooding in melancholy self-discontent a base feeling that makes us displeased with every one and everything around us or it may come of actual provocation or wrong inflicted or what is most common of wrong imagined to have been inflicted upon us in any of these cases the first thing is to recover our temper and good spirits and return to charity the second is to be kind and generous whether we have only injured ourselves or another has injured us to overcome evil by good there are no worse evils than sadness and melancholy because they reject the cure of every other evil sadness is a malady that unhinges the spirit contracts the heart and brings down the powers of the soul into the caverns of self-love where their light is obscured and the virtues are buried in sensuous slime a dark shadow hangs over the mind and in that shadow self-love paints melancholy images of herself that flatter her as if she were some great victim of wrong the will is chained a captive to this self-love and the soul is unnerved by illusions that exhale from the malignant humours thrown up from the oppressed and saddened spirit of wounded and defeated pride but it is amazing with what a little effort this illusion may be dissolved it seems to be an immense unconquerable immovable nightmare seated on the soul but when the eyes open the nightmare melts away it requires but an effort of the awakened will to disperse the whole illusion and the poet of the spleen has found a re-echo from the common sense of mankind to his famous sentence 
throw but a stone the giant dies some little effort to expand the contracted heart will dissolve the spell the malady consists in the collapse of the powers upon the bitter ground of egotism and self-love the cure is effected by breaking out of that corrosive shell in which the spirit has become enclosed just as a puncture draws off the humours of a dropsy the first effort may be little more than mechanical still it is an effort of the will and followed up will soon become an act of reviving charity a smile a kind look a gentle word will suffice to open the cloud and admit a ray of light that will dispel the delusion and show that it was but an idle dream of mischievous self-love when we are exposed to provocation or offence then is the time to hold back the will with firmness until we are sure of our self-possession and that we can proceed untouched by the fire of anger the proverb of solomon gives us the plainest language on the subject a fool immediately showeth anger but he that dissembleth injuries is wise proverbs chapter twelve verse sixteen when another contradicts you or exhibits resentment it is time to remember the apostolic admonition give place unto wrath romans chapter twelve verse nineteen the sense of which is explained in the proverb a mild answer breaketh wrath but a harsh word stirreth up fury proverbs chapter fifteen verse one to reason with anger is to show a light to the blind it is taken for reproach and will only increase irritation but mild looks and gentle words subdue the fire of wrath as with a spiritual charm and will save us from catching the contagion if you can follow this up with benefits you will overcome evil with good in mastering yourself you will master evil as well eighth rule the eighth rule of patience is to bear your internal trials crosses and aridities with peace and resignation these are far more trying than external tribulations because of the fears which they awaken respecting our eternal interests as also on account of the sadness which they will give rise to if not borne with patience and which if it does arise will greatly unnerve the soul and impede if not injure the spirit of prayer few souls when under trial take sufficient account of the injury they do themselves by those disquieting fears and that disturbing sadness consider then how important it is to be patient when you are dealing with god himself when you are inwardly tried or made desolate for the purification of your soul the whole profit depends on your patience and resignation you have to be patient with god who is patient with you but of this we shall speak at large when we come to the subject of patience in prayer ninth rule the ninth rule of patience and one of very great importance is to bear patiently with one's own faults and failures faults call for regret and sins for contrition and repentance but they ought not to awaken the impatience of pride 
or the fear of not being forgiven upon true repentance for this is to mistrust the goodness of god and to open the door to new faults and graver offences unless we bear our failings with patience they will lead us into numberless faults it is extraordinary how many spiritual faults may be committed over one material fault that one fault may be indeliberate and devoid of malice but if it humiliates one's pride and vexes one's self-love it will annoy us make us impatient disturb our peace and thus lead us into a number of spiritual faults we either know something of our natural weakness or we do not if we do not it is time we learnt it and our faults and failures will be our instructors if we can only bear them patiently but if we do know something of ourselves we ought not to be surprised and still less disturbed when we fail but should ascribe it to our having trusted too much in ourselves but if instead of being humbled and corrected by our failures we turn them into temptations and nurse our offended self-love upon them these accidental failures will be turned into positive offences through the spiritual disorder to which they give occasion we thus put the soul into a disturbance and disorder that never came of the original fault but of the trouble of self-love to be patient with one's self after a fault is to keep in the right disposition to correct and repair it to lose patience over a fault is to part with the remedy by which it can be repaired there are moments when we cannot bear the recollection of a self long past who has not experienced those quick flashes of mortified pride at the sudden recollection of some long past act of indiscretion or folly they reveal what lurks hidden and untamed in the soul if through weakness of nature or wandering of mind our self-possession is lost for a time a sense of privation and discomfort begins to be felt and then patience must be called upon to recover us to recollection yet it is not by turning upon oneself not by dwelling upon one's failures as they are displeasing to self-love not by indulging impatience that any failing can be cured but by turning to god who is patient with us who knows our frame who remembers that we are dust who is compassionate of our weaknesses and has mercy on our follies it is by turning to him as a child to a father simply and without prudery that we find the medicine that our weakness requires be thou o my soul subject to god for from him is my patience tenth rule the last rule is that of the perfect who find a cheering joy in trials contradictions and sufferings not only because they are great helps for advancing towards god upon the groundworks of humility and patience but because they can find nothing more conducive to detachment from all that is not god nothing more effective in subduing their nature to the reign of grace they delight in bearing upon them the marks of christ crucified 
in carrying their cross after him in suffering with him for the exceeding love of god st paul rejoiced in all his tribulations and gloried in nothing save jesus christ crucified st francis found the perfection of holy joy in contempt and humiliations these are but examples of the ways of the saints but this is a degree of fortitude more than human a singular gift of the holy ghost by which the superior will is so closely united with god as to remove all repugnance to suffering and that hallowed will embraces things that are even contrary to nature with a cheerfulness to which the sensuality of nature can make no effectual opposition even though they come suddenly and without preparation